and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm your host, Holly Rubenstein, and today on this cold, wintry day, we're traveling far away to the warmer climes of Southeast Asia, to a country renowned for its opulent monuments, ancient ruins, floating markets, palm-fringed tropical beaches, turquoise seas, sumptuous cuisines, and a people so friendly that the country is nicknamed the Land of Smiles. Of course, today we're heading to amazing Thailand. And what a lineup I have for you today to help bring this extraordinarily diverse country to life. I'm thrilled to say that chef and TV presenter John Tarode returns to the podcast, having been so passionate about his extensive travels in Thailand back in his episode in season five. He's here to share his Thai travel diaries from Bangkok, the bustling capital in the middle of the country, to Chiang Mai and Chiang Rai in the mountainous north, and its famous jungle-topped tropical islands down in the south. And then I'm joined by the wonderful Kay Plunkett-Hogg. Kay is a cookery writer, travel journalist and broadcaster who is Thai. She was born and raised in Bangkok. She's bilingual and she now lives in the mountains of Changdao, which is in the Chiang Mai province of the country. And she spoke to me from her home there. I've never been to Thailand. It's somewhere I've always wanted to go. So I asked Kay, as someone who's lived in Thailand most of her life, where I should go and what I should do on my first trip there. So she takes us through a fantastic two-week round-trip itinerary that is perfect for first-timers, beginning and ending in Bangkok, as well as sharing some of her favourite spots and hidden gems along the way. There is so much to get us excited about a future trip to Thailand, so let's get started with John Road. John Tarode, welcome back to the Travel Diaries, to this totally Thailand destination special. Thank you so much for joining me again. How are you? I'm really good. And it's a pleasure, actually. I think the um, it's always very easy to talk about somewhere you love. Well, yeah. You know, it makes a, mass- makes a massive difference, doesn't it? That, you know, somewhere that you really love to go. And, and I suppose after the last 18 months or so, that actually getting out the door and thinking about that and, you know, taking your shoes off and walking through some sand or, you know, putting on a a pair of shoes and walking through a market is is something I just dream of rather than actually, you know, even get to talk about, which is great. Amazing. Yeah, well, I mean, back in season five, my listeners will know your episode was so incredibly well received and it shared with us a taster of your love of Thailand. I mean, it's clearly a destination that means so much to you. Yeah, I, I think it is because I, I don't know what it was. I suppose that um, it, it, was, it was the sort of central point between um, – between Australia and the UK and it was I suppose it was a place where I could go and do whatever I wanted to because I wasn't Mm -hmm. being judged in any way by anybody in the UK or Australia and I I don't think I'd even really sort of actually settled in the UK enough by then I didn't quite know my place um the other thing for me is that you know the, the food is obviously food for me is a really important part of life of course. you know I was a cook all the time but um you know a lot of people probably won't know that as a kid I grew up and I didn't drink milk um i was allergic to dairy products and it would give me severe asthma um which over the years i've sort of grown out of but what i discovered with thailand was that um the food didn't have anything like cream or uh butter but it tasted amazing Mm. and it's sort of one of those extraordinary cuisines where it's 
every single rule that you're told as a cook, every single ingredient that's meant to go together, every ingredient that shouldn't go together in Thailand goes together. Yeah. Like it's the best culinary clash in the whole world. I mean, it's, it's sort of, it's the punk rock of culture and food, I think, in the fact that, you know, who would think you put palm sugar and fish sauce and, and green, green papaya together with a, a, you know, a salted crab. Yeah. And, and that's going to be something amazing. I mean, that's what. Funky th- flavors. Yeah. Funky. I think it's a great word. I think that's a, that's a great word. Funky. I think it's, um, but I think it's even more than that. I think, I think, you know, funky for me has always been exciting. And I think that's it. I mean, funky rather than being, you know, the smell of cheese, I think it's just a little bit more, you know, exciting than that. Mm. I suppose for me, the other thing is that at that stage in the UK, we were sort of, you know, very much this world of French is best. And for me, I came from Australia where anything goes, you know, and it was, you could, Japanese, you could have a bit of Thai, you could have a bit of of Korean, Vietnamese, a bit of Italian. And it, it was never sort of prejudged where in, you know, I was working in restaurants like the Pont de la Tour. Well, what's that tea? What's going to be? You know, and 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 you know, so they're very very French, and also so very very classic, I suppose. And I wanted to be able to bring something really different and something quite individual as an Australian into the UK mm. that people would eat and think, yeah, that's great. The other thing I think that for me has always been as a restaurateur. You go to a restaurant to eat food you can't cook at home. That's why you go to a restaurant. You don't Mm -hmm. go to a restaurant to eat spaghetti bolognese or, you know, pasta pesto, um, unless, of course, you're really sick of of doing doing the dishes and the kids are screaming all the time and you're just going to take them to Pizza Express. But, you know, and then you go to a pizza, which you can't make at home. But, you know, I, I wanted to do stuff that people go, wow, what is this? You know, I can't make this at home. I've I've not seen it before. When I eat it, it's amazing. And when you eat real Thai food, and we'd all had it where it was sort of slightly, I don't know, diluted and its reality had been diluted, that it was, well, I wanted to sort of say to people, this is really exciting, but you're going to have to cope with, you know, a bit of chili. You're going to have to cope with a little bit of salt. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's supposed to be like that. This is what it's like. It's fun. It's exciting. But it's beautiful, it looks beautiful. It's intricate. It's complicated. It's fascinating. It does things that you know people don't understand. And I, I think for me, that's that sort of great thing. And and when you get hold of something like that, and and why did I love it so much? I don't know. I think it was so varied, so interesting, so exciting. And um, at the same time, for me, very very familiar, having grown up in Australia, but so unfamiliar to the UK that I just you know it was something I, I really wanted to get stuck into. Mm. So. Kind of with that in mind, we're going to go on a journey through your Thai travel diaries as someone who knows the country so well, loves the country so much. Yeah. A kind of an abridged version of the traditional travel diaries episodes across four chapters, starting with chapter one. That is the first place in Thailand that you fell in love with. Well, the first place I really fell in love with, and I can remember it very, very well, and I got up at um, half past four in the morning to do a little bit of filming um, and I've been lucky enough there to go there in 1996 for Richard and Judy for this morning. So although I travelled, you know, backwards and forwards and I'd done what I'd done and I'd, you know, visited the odd market and I'd, you know, been in the streets and I'd eaten street food, the first place we filmed in on that journey in Thailand was a place called Pat Klong Talat. And Pat Klong Talat now is the main flower market sitting on the Klong 
in central Bangkok and opposite mm-hmm. the sort of the major temple where the, the lion Buddha is. And, um, and just there, if you go there, when I was, you know, younger, so many years ago, I arrived in this place and it was, the sun was coming up and the place was extraordinarily busy with noise. And from a sort of distance, I could see a pile of chilies and they were red and it must've been two stories high and I'm not exaggerating. Mm. Um, and there's this extraordinary pile of, and they weren't big chilies, they were small chilies. And then next to that was a pile of green ones. And then next to that was another pile of more red ones, but they were bigger. And then there was just these bundles of herbs and stuff. And there's all these these carts coming backwards and forwards. And, you know, down the, the sort of walkways, as you walk down towards where all the, this food was being sold. And, then, you know, there was people coming along in their, in their boats, dropping off the actual food into the market itself. Were these stalls where guys were and girls were, were making little pork satays over fire and just turning mm. them really, really, really quickly in the smell of this food cooking. But then looking at this amazing produce and just looking at it and thinking, what, what, what is this? What is this place? And it, I looked around and looked around and it dawned on me there was not a refrigerator anywhere. Nothing was refrigerated. Mm. Nothing was on ice. It was all fresh fruit and vegetables. So it was a fresh fruit and vegetable market which was feeding all of Bangkok. There and then. There and then. And nothing yeah. at all was refrigerated. And then in one corner, there was this sort of, this huge sort of expanse of, of area, which which sort of looked like it was steaming with these these um, Hessian bags over the top of this, what looked like, you know, big drums, um, which I soon found out a, a few years later was where they used to grow the bean shoots overnight. And, right. um, but by the time we sort of, and then we did some filming, and I cooked some Tom Yum soup there. And this lady told me that it mean, she went Marpet, which basically meant, you know, it needs to be hotter than this, mate, because that's absolute rubbish. That's for, you know, you guys who don't have any flavor. You're Farang, who, which basically means you don't have any flavor. And um, <laughs> so we made it hotter. And then she told me it was good. It was great. And and because I sort of cooked and it was really hot and it was got, you know, very hot very, very early, they called me Baba Bobo, which was basically crazy man with crazy hair. And um, <laughs> so, and I sort of got sort of, you know, almost indoctrinated into this world of, of these people running around. And, and then by about 9.30 in the morning, there's nothing left. Mm. Every single bit of produce, every single chili, every single bundle of herb, every single banana leaf, pandan leaf, you know, uh, whatever it might have been, shallots, everything, garlic, was all gone. Amazing. And the next day, it was back again. And that's how they were. There's this amazing fresh produce. And I just thought to myself, you know, people talk about provenance. People talk about produce. People talk about freshness. People talk about stuff coming from farm to fort. They talk about all these things. This has been going on for centuries here. And, you know, what, what, why it's just the most beautiful place to sort of find yourself involved in this amazing, amazing amount of food. And it was just gorgeous. It was just beautiful. Inspiring. Uh. What an amazing depiction. And now you sort of, I go back there and it's the flower market and there's a little bit of food, but not a lot. The flower market, again, you can imagine how much pride they take in the flower market. So it's this beautiful, beautiful place. So the market still exists, but not in the world of food like it did when I was there. Um, that's now sort of moved out a bit and out into the suburbs a bit and people go out and bring it back in. But it's it's an extraordinary, an extraordinary sight. Oh, sounds like just such a an explosion on the senses, like sight, sound, smells, just all, all, kind of all encompassing. Yeah, and I remember the, the this amazing, you know, thing of looking at people and everybody's smiling back. 
you know, it's like, it's warm, isn't it? but people still walk past, you know, and the thing, you know, the greeting, which is Sawadika, and, you you know, everybody's saying Sawadika to each other. And then out on the, what was then the sort of park area, there was all these, all these, you know, I don't know if they were, you know, 70s or 80s or however old they were, all of them doing Tai Chi first thing in the morning mm-hmm. as they were sort of waking up next to it. And you sort of looked at Bangkok as this sort of, as a city sort of, you know, you came, you were facing the market to the left was the city. And then sort of where Pat Klong Talat is, and then outwards was going up the Klong out of Bangkok. And it was just this sort of completely different world that, um, you know, there was this massive city, but this, this world that, that continued to exist and still exists today. And I think it's, it's just awesome. This great fresh produce and, and beautiful food. So for me, that was the sort of, you know, when I really, really, I mean, I'd eaten great Thai food in my life, but I never really understood. And that's when I sort of thought I've got to delve into this and really mm. understand it. So that corner of Bangkok that was the first place that you fell in love with. How about chapter two, your all-time favourite part of Thailand? What would that be? Oh, I, I still think that, that, that Bangkok is is the most magical city for me in the world. I mean, I went there when I first started going there from the airport out into Bangkok would take at least two hours in a car. Um, and there was no overpasses. There were no fast roads. It was just jam packed. And I'm talking three o'clock in the morning in the place, you know, it was just, there was just people everywhere. And that, you know, there's, there's people on motorbikes of which there's four of them on a motorbike. There's a, somebody sitting on the handlebars, there's somebody sitting side saddle on the back. And then, you know, somebody riding in the middle, the kids riding in the middle. And it's just this beautiful city, which is full of, you know, it has, you know, has wealth, it has culture, it has people, it has all the things that go on, but it doesn't, you know, you can, you can catch a little boat across from the Peninsula Hotel across, you know, the river and then walk up a side lane and you end up in a, in a proper, you know, traditional food market. You can turn the corner and you'll find yourself in another, you know, little sort of couple of little stalls, which somebody, one will be selling somtum and somebody will be selling you know, fish cakes and somebody else be selling popiar, but but everybody only does one thing. They only ever make one thing, and they've only, only ever made one thing all their life because it, it's that's the way they do it. And and they don't. It's not for tourists. It's for people who live there. Um, and then if you sort of go out of Bangkok a little bit, and and where Pat Klong Talat is, you sort of go up that Klong, the major Klong, and turn left at like the second one, and then go for about twenty. Five thirty minutes up the up the river, um, and and I met this amazing woman called Kun Pip, and Kun Pip runs a place, and now her daughter runs it because she's uh, a bit older. Um, she runs a place called the Thai House, mm-hmm. and the Thai House is a traditionally traditional cooking school where you can stay, um, but don't expect luxury. Uh, there is no air conditioning. The beds are on the floor. The food's amazing, and uh, their local market is. I mean, something completely different. So you've got this sort of beauty of Pat Klong Talat and then their local market around where Kun Pip and the Thai house is, is a proper suburban where everybody goes who lives around that area, goes to buy the produce. And so you have a corner of it, which is uh, full of seafood. And you've got a corner of it, which is full of, of the butchers um, and all the offal hanging up. And you've got to remember that we're still talking about no refrigeration. So you've got, you know, if, if an animal's been slaughtered, it's cut up and it's it's sold that day. You know, you buy pork meat, it's going to be sort of sold that day. So for some people, it might be a little bit much. But for me, it was just this incredible 
world of reality of food of what was um and that's where i was shown um by corn pip these amazing bean shoots there were these sort of 44 gallon drums and she'd sort of come say come over come over look, look at this and she lift the the um the sort of hessian sack which was wet and you know uh, first thing in the morning it steams but by the you know the time the sun's come up you can't see it but inside of that are fresh bean shoots and you literally put your hand in well, I suppose you don't anymore because of health and safety. But, you know, you used to just put your hand in and bring out handfuls of these absolutely amazing fresh bean shoots. And then next to that was this woman on a table who was making rice noodles by hand. And, you know, there's all these sort of – and those arts are still going on. Um, and then, you know, around the corner there's there's little coffee shops now and there's places you can go get yourself a drink and there's the odd sort of weird shop where there's lots of, tr- you know, trinkets and things. But But now it's sort of, you know, there's also – and, and it was then as well, you'd sort of walk along a walkway and there'd be people sitting on the floor pounding away in a mortar and pestle. And next to them is uh, a sort of metal bowls with mounds, I mean, beautifully mounded, what looks like dried spices, but it's not. It's different curry pastes. Mm. Because a lot of the Thais don't cook at home or they do cook at home, but they don't. They won't make their own curry paste at home because they can buy it from the market because they, they know their supplier. But then if you go a little bit further inside, then there'll be somebody who'll be selling their ready meal as such, you know, this sort of amazing ready meal. And um, uh, and, and we sort of went to the Thai house and we did some various cooking. And then on on one of the nights we were there, the the daughter who was then very young, she said, tonight we get takeaway. And we sort of laughed, went, what are you talking about? And suddenly this little boat turns up out the back of the house and you walk out to the back of the 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 house and there's there's this lady on the boat and she's making um, noodles in the boat and, <laughs> and and she makes the noodles and she gives you a bowl of noodles and then she goes off and up the road a little bit to the next house and she pulls up and makes them noodles and that's the takeaway oh but the my ta- goodness the takeaway isn't you don't order it in somebody comes <laughs> to you but they all sort of do this thing they all know where they are how it happens i don't know what signals they use i don't know i mean you know phones and stuff these days but it's um it, it, it's just this i suppose because for me it's all immersive about food and it's always been about food, and um, and the you know the wonderful thing with somebody like staying in somewhere like the Thai house is then you you get to really understand the culture, and I think unless you understand that culture, you don't really understand the food. But you know, in the morning you would have um, rice soup because rice soup rice is so revered and rice is so so important. You never throw it away. So if you've cooked rice, it could be flattened, it could be dried, uh, it could be turned to rice cakes, it could be whatever. But anything that's left over in the morning, like small amounts of rice will be left over in the morning, it's sort of a, make a, a water-based broth with some lemongrass, some fish sauce in it, and maybe a bit of chilli. And that would be poured across the top of rice. And mm. um, then you would have padprik, which is on the side, and padprik is literally fish sauce and chopped little fine chilies. And you take a spoonful of that and you put it in your soup. And that's and your breakfast. breakfast. That's your breakfast. Right. And your breakfast is rice soup. And, and, and I remember coming away from that and feeling so clean and so invigorated by this amazing breakfast of course you know as a kid i was always told i gotta eat cornflakes with milk on it and i'm just there's no way in the bloody world i was gonna eat that it's disgusting and so when people say that and even now lisa laughs at me i love her an asian breakfast and she's just that's but that's not breakfast food of course it's breakfast food that's this is what food is food is food it's not it's never been told we have to have this for breakfast or this for lunch or whatever it's just we've been brainwashed into having having cereals with milk on them and, yeah, um, totally. And I, you know, for me, I'd rather eat rice soup. Thanks very much. But you know, living a couple of days with somebody like Pip in a place like the Thai House, 
you get to really see the outskirts of Bangkok that little bit more. You get to be close to the city and not far away. You can sort of duck in and duck out. Um, but you actually do then get to see a bit of the country and how that works as well. When you stay in in Thailand, where do you like to st- where do you like to stay in terms of hotels? If you were to stay in a hotel, is there one that you particularly love? Uh, I love the Sukhothai, um, which is on the Sukhumvit Road. I think it's a, it's a beautiful hotel. I think when, whenever you travel, and I probably I don't know if you've talked this to you about this last time we talked, but I think when you're in a, in a country which you don't know very well, and maybe you're a little bit frightened of it, as a bit of advice for some somebody who who loves to travel, spend that little bit more and stay somewhere which is a little bit a little bit cool so that when you come in off the streets which are usually very very busy that you've got a sanctuary mm. that you know you can sit around a pool and you can have something familiar like a beer out of a glass that you know that you can maybe have a cocktail if you want or a glass of wine because that makes you feel okay you can have a nice bath and a nice shower and that you feel as though you can rest because there's nothing worse I think than going to a new place which is daunting and, and Bangkok can be daunting it's hot, it's busy, it's frantic, all those things I love a lot. Um, but for a lot of people, they just find it too much to cope with. Mm-hmm. But have that place where you have that sanctuary to go back to. Yeah. The Peninsula in Bangkok is a beautiful hotel and it does the best breakfast in Asia. I mean, you go to the Peninsula for breakfast and you you could probably stay there for a month and you wouldn't have the same thing for breakfast. There's outside in the Peninsula in the gardens, there's this amazing uh, sort of area which is all glassed off and you can go there and and they'll cook noodles and they'll cook you uh, dumplings and they'll cook you whatever you want for breakfast um every single morning just next to the big swimming pool at the peninsula there's a there's a yoga um lesson which goes for an hour and 15 minutes and if you're into yoga let me tell you something you will sweat that's for sure because it's hot but you do a yoga class at 6 30 in the morning or as the sun's coming up and then go for a swim in the pool and then go and have breakfast it's yeah. a beautiful way to start the day there's a boat that goes invigorating. Oh yeah, really invigorating. But then there's a boat that goes across the the, the, the way, which is, and then you're really in the centre of Bangkok. But if you come out the front gates of the peninsula, and you turn right across the road on the on a sort of diagonal, there's this amazing little cafe that does the most brilliant pork larp, and it's I mean pork larp is literally minced pork, fish sauce, chili, and um, then it's served with loads and loads of herbs, and you just eat it like I mean it's so delicious. Uh, that's gorgeous and then go down the road a little bit and then turn right down and sort of looks like a weird sort of dirt road and you end up in a proper time market again so you're, you're yeah. sort of never close from or very far from reality um so the peninsula is a great a great place to stay gosh you really you really sell it it's making me want to go so much and thank thankfully we are able to go there now yeah. which is just so exciting so um so the, bangkok is a place that you know, most people will fly into as their first port of call. Um, I guess Phuket is the other major one here in the UK. Um, How about though somewhere that we don't know so much? Chapter three, your Thai hidden gem. Is there a place that you you discovered that, uh, you know, is off the beaten track? Well, I think that, I mean, the next big city in Bangkok is Chiang Mai. Uh, as you go further north and then if you go a little bit further up another few hours in the in a car you end up in a place called Chiang Rai Mm -hmm. but you're still on the river so the Chiang Rai is sort of where you have uh, a lot more of the mountain people and um, it's where you end up and you have things like a jungle curry 
So uh, if you consider how, how the world works, if you are in the south of Thailand, um, then you're going to be near, near the water, which probably means uh, palm trees, which usually means coconuts. If you're up in the mountains, then there ain't no palm trees and there ain't no coconuts. So Such you'll a have, diverse landscape. Yeah, um, that's brilliant. But you can get um, down, the Mako, down the main river, with the Maycock River, which goes down and, of course, then borders a lot of the rest of Asia and um, Laos in, in particular. You can now get on a boat from Chiang Rai and over a period of two days, you can be on this little flatbed boat and you can go down the river and you'll stop on off in sort of little sleeping huts and mm. the, you can actually then stop and stay in these sort of places which are on stilts in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Um, oh. And you are looking at both sides of the river, Thailand versus Laos. And it's opened up now. I mean, when I first started going there, the issue was, of course, there was still warfare happening and that was quite quite difficult um but now it's it's open up again so if you want to go and do some real you know exciting stuff go into chiang mai get yourself organize it through various people and there's various tourist companies that do it um then you go up into chiang rai have a look at the mountains and what goes on up there uh and then you can there's also if you think there's what's called the king's project up there which was where all the opium fields used to be and um, now the king has, of course, has given all the money to make sure that the all the opium is gone. And now they plant all uh, loads and loads of food. And there's all these communities that have come together and to get everybody out of trouble. So that's quite extraordinary. Mm. But then, then you know, you'll find an area where you can get on a, a hire yourself a little boat with a, with a with somebody, and you'll pup 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 down this thing and sort of almost float down it. They'll drop a canoe out every so often, and you'll pull up somewhere overnight near a camp. Somebody will um, light a fire, and they'll cook food for you. You stay there overnight. You wake up in the morning. You know, there's no noise at all. There's no light pollution. There's stars in the sky, and it's um, it's a really really beautiful place. Then mm. you keep on going down, and then from there you end up in Chiang Mai. And then if you once you get to Chiang Mai, Chiang Mai is a sort of a fairly busy little place. But it's still got a lot of the um, a lot. There's, there's sort of big shopping areas there, but there's still a lot of um, great traditional uh, little bars and things where you can get really good snacks and little you know bits of food. Uh, and then if you want to go really really posh and something really cool and really incredible, there's the Hyatt in Chiang Mai, which has been bought by a very very eccentric um, Taiwanese man, and he has taken temples which were starting to fall down from all around thailand and over 30 years he packed them all up into sort of kit form and now he's rebuilt them on this amazing what was an old rice patty um uh, outside about oh God, 20 minutes outside yeah outside chiang rai chiang mai and you can stay in one of the original old temple things and you sort of stay in there you, you pay for it let me tell you you pay for it, you pay a lot of money for it but you know if you want to have a you know thai experience where it's really quite you know hey let's splash a few few you know quid and have a really interesting and a, and a very unusual time then that's the sort of place to go to um what a vision that river journey and and you'll sort of go and see the giant buddhas and you'll see so much more from the river you'll see a completely different side to thailand you'll see the sort of how lush it is and how you know beautiful the countryside is and the other thing i think it does when you're traveling like that and you are traveling a lot and you don't have a lot of time like if you were a backpacker but you want to experience something more it does make you stop it does make you just slow down a bit and you have to just relinquish all control 
and take your shirt off and sit on a boat and, you know, just chat with people you may have never met before. And there's usually only about six people on each boat that are going down. So there's not a lot of people. So mm. they're not big or anything like that. You know, you just you get a nice little one and then, as you say, just trottle away. Um, it's it's fantastic. So, you know, experiences. Well, I mean, speaking of places that you you might like to visit again, your final chapter, John, chapter four, is the destination at the top of your Thai travel bucket list now that we can go there and travel again. I, I think probably for me, what I'd like to do is to actually do I, I, I've talked about sort of, you know, the opulent stuff. I would probably like to just jump on a train out of Bangkok, like a normal train, everyday train, and go down south mm-hmm. and go down towards the islands and just experience a few places along the way down there and probably just discover a little bit more of the countryside and just to, you know, really have a, a good sticky beak around now that people haven't been going for a long time and, I, I think that for me would be what I'd like to do just to, you know, a little bit more of a, you know, exploration. So much of Thailand that could to be explored. And I would love to do the islands. I think for me, you know, if I could go down south on a train and somehow or another then find my way of getting across onto the islands on a boat, you know, and actually, you know, ra- rather than just flying in or flying across, um, I think that for me would be be the way to go. And I suppose that sort of dream thing of like staying in a hut, like everybody used to say when they were backpacking, you know, they went yeah. and they found a hut somewhere and they sat in the beach. And yeah, I think for a couple of days like that, that would be, that would be pretty magical. Um, yeah. You know, just to sit on the sand and, you know, not worry about anything and just, you know, watch the sun go down and do a bit of yoga and, you know, eat some food and not feel as though, you know, I have to pay for everything through the nose. Um, yeah. Cause you can get such amazing kind of beachfront accommodation down there for just next to nothing and yeah. Yeah. have and such I, a memorable experience. And I don't want to eat in a place where they've got fridges, which might sound yeah. really weird, but you know, yeah. it goes right back to that whole thing. And as much as I say about the peninsula and, you know, eat off the streets. And if you can find, if I can find a place, you know, on the, on that road trip or, you know, whether it be on a, on a, you know, in a train or on bicycles or whatever it might be. And then, you know, find little places to stay, but eat in these places where the people are actually cooking the food, you know, or, or you can get stuff from their local markets. That to me is what, you know, is what it's all about. Well, I'm feeling well and truly inspired, John. Thank you so much. Those were your Thai travel diaries. It's been so lovely to see you again today. Thanks, Holly. And now we're joined from the mountains of northern Thailand by journalist and broadcaster Kay Plunkett-Hogg. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do? Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Hey, Blanket Hog, welcome to the Travel Diaries to this totally Thailand destination special. Thanks so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on, Holly. Well, where are you joining me from? Please tell me. I am joining you from the beautiful mountains of Chengdao in northern Thailand. It's about half past five here. The sun's about to go down. Doi Luang, the main mountain, which has been uh, granted UNESCO heritage status, is glowing in the distance and the egrets are landing. It's very, very beautiful. I wish you could be here with me. Oh, me too. But thank you for transporting me there. So what brought you there? You live out there. How has this all come about? I do live here now. I was born and brought up in Thailand. My father moved here in 1961 to sell Ford tractors, ostensibly for a year or two, and then just ended up staying 30 years. So I was born and brought up here. Uh, but in the interim, went back to the UK and the States. I lived all over the place. And then finally, I decided in the last year that that was it. We were coming back. I was coming home because this really is home to me. So mm-hmm. here I am. And how are you finding it? It's wonderful. But uh, as I say to somebody the other day, after having visited so often in the last 5, 10, 15 years with groups of journalists or with chef tours or just on holiday, it's a very different thing living here. So it's getting used to minutiae. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, not, you know, if I want a sort of a baguette with a bit of ham in it, I can't just nip around the corner to the local sort of Waitrose. Although I do have a Tesco's, but the ham is not actually brilliant and they don't have Marmite. But there's are <laughs> small things to get used to. Uh, the bigger picture is that I love being back. I really, really do. And I haven't had to turn the heating on and it's November. So, hey. Yeah, that that is a bonus. I'm still smiling at the fact that there's there's a Tesco's in the remote mountains of Thailand. Yeah, there's a local Tesco's that just opened in our little village. And we had a pickup truck going around with a tannoy the other day singing a Tesco song. 
to entice us all to go and buy our produce from there. <laughs> and it's right opposite the local market. So you're sort of torn. I sort of get what's going on, but I try and sort of go over here for hyper-local produce and perhaps pop into Tesco's to get my milk or whatever. But it's, it's, it's quite, it was quite the exciting opening. I can imagine. Well, I mean, talking about, you know, the hyper-local produce, it seemed like John Chirode, who we just heard from, was really very passionate about the produce of Thailand. Oh, yeah. And he came across as somebody who who really got it here and whose passion was totally honest. Um, he obviously really, really loves it. And when he talked about the lad, Bad Klong, the market in Bangkok, where he first went in the 90s, that's a market I used to go to as a child with my nanny, you know, gripping tightly to her hand and weaving through the crowds. And again, I was struck. He really sort of brought those memories back of seeing mountains of chilies taller than I was, red and green and yellow, and curry paste and chickens running about and dogs barking and incense burning and satay grilling and just little Chinese donuts you'd eat hot dipped into condensed milk. Mm. So it brought it all back to me. Um, and it's very much, it's still very much like that in Bangkok and particularly regionally for sure. Yeah. So as the ultimate Thailand expert, I wanted to get your advice about my first trip to Thailand. I have never been, and I imagine that some of my listeners haven't been either, and they're hoping to go. So for a first timer, say I'm going for a couple of weeks, where would you suggest that I get started? Oh, it's so difficult, Holly. But I, I can imagine, it's yeah. It's so hard because I would go here, here. I'd, I'd have you here for seven weeks or more. But I think <laughs> you have to start in Bangkok because the capital city, it's got the Chalpiar River snaking through it, like some sort of beaten copper dragon roaring out to sea, which is, and the Chalpiar really is the spine of Thailand, you know, coming from sort of the nearly the top to the bottom. Mm -hmm. So I think you have to start in Bangkok. It's got everything from sophisticated hotels, and I know John mentioned the Sukhothai, which is one of my absolute favourites, to places like Chakban Chakrapong, Villa Chakrapong, which belongs to the great or great-granddaughter of, of, of King Chulongkorn V, and it's this stunning set of villas on the river, to hostels, to one of my favourite places to stay is Old Chinatown. I just spent three nights in a converted Chinese shop house there, and it was like stepping back in time. So wow. I would definitely want you to do some of those bits, explore the old city, but then go into the newer parts to have a razzle-dazzle cocktail or two, but definitely do a river trip. So we'd have to start in Bangkok. Bangkok mm -hmm. would be crazy not to. Yep. Then it's whether you're a sea or a mountain person. And because I'm in the mountains, I'd probably start you off by flying you up to Chiang Rai. And again, it was so interesting that John mentioned Chiang Rai because that's where I have a cookery school. Yes. Um, that's what I yes. thought. Yes, at a beautiful resort on top of a mountain called Puchai Sai, which means mountain of the clear heart, right in the Golden Triangle, not a stone's throw from the Mekong River. You're right in the heart of Highland people or hill tribe country. So you'll get to try food that is Thai, but not Thai. I mean, many of the hill tribes have been here not 100 years yet, and they don't use fish sauce in their cooking. They don't use much cooking oil. It's a very different cuisine. Mm -hmm. So you could try some of that. You could try Shan cuisine, which comes over the border from Burma. You could just enjoy the mountain air. Then I think I'll drive you down to Chengdao, where I am now. I'll take you on a hike, and we'd go to some hot springs. And there's one wonderful one that a friend took me to the other day, which is a cold stream and meets a hot spring. 
So you have sort of hot and cold tap running and you can sit in it and sort of cool down and warm up at the same time. Wow. Eat some wonderful Lisu Hill Tribe food, great coffee. Then I would probably take you down to Chiang Mai because Chiang Mai again is a wonderful walled old city. We'd stay there a couple of days, go to one of my favorite restaurants, probably my favorite restaurant in the world, which is called Puang Tong. Uh-huh. And is run by a mother and daughter, Anjali and Malie. Malie is probably in her 70s now. And they don't cook northern food. They've been up here over 20 years, but they only cook central Thai food. She right. refuses to cook northern food. But it's probably <laughs> some of the best food I've ever eaten in my life. I'll take everybody there and I will, I will sing its praises till I drop. What's the ambiance like there? It's very, it's, it's literally in her house. She's a wooden house by the Ping River. Um, maybe four or five tables outside by the river. Very simple. You have to either order in advance if you know or get there and be prepared to wait because she does everything herself, her and her daughter. All the curry paste are made right there a la minute. Everything is done as you order it. There's nothing ready made. So be prepared with a few cold beers just to have a long evening. Yeah, oh, wow. So then I think I would probably say let's take, you could have two options. You could take the day train if you didn't have much time, the day train, the old day train back from Chiang Mai to Bangkok, where you see the countryside slip by you through the windows. And it's really beautiful. But that's if you've just got a, a few hours and you want to do that. Otherwise, I'd say let's fly to the coast. And you can either do Phuket and the islands, which I know everybody in the UK loves. But I might say fly to Hua Hin, which is a smaller seaside town, which I used to go to as a child. And although it's been developed recently, there's a place I stay called Ban Bayan, which is a, a 1920s teak wood house, which is painted sunshine yellow right on the beach. And I beach walk and I go and have beautiful seafood. And it's one of the places in the world that I just know I can relax. Mm. And then we'd head back to Bangkok, maybe for one or two. Maybe I'd take you to some more of the fancy restaurants in Bangkok that last trip, uh, like David Thompson's Axorn or a place called 100 Mahaset, which has got sort of Thai nose to tail eating and a great great space Bangkok is is you anything you want to eat you can get in Bangkok so we might finish off with a bit or we might even end up here's where we'll end up we'll Hmm. go to the Madrid bar my favorite bar it's on the infamous Patpong road which has got enormous history to it and my friend Jenny's mother opened the bar in 1969 and it hasn't changed since if you walk in your eyes adjust to the dim light and it's like being back in the 60s in a Spanish-themed bar. And this is where the CIA used to hang out during the Vietnam War, where people like Tony Poe and Jack Shirley and the CIA and the Secret Service and Air America would exchange all their secrets over beers. And it's the most atmospheric, fantastic place. So I'll probably take you there for your final drink before I took you to the airport and waved you off. Oh my goodness, Kay, what an incredible tour. You're giving me so much wanderlust. Like I'm sitting here in drizzly London trying to work out how I can get out there to you. Like ASAP, that sounds unbelievable. Well, I can't wait for you to get here, Holly. I'm waiting for your email telling me the dates you're arriving. I'll be there to pick you up. Oh, amazing. Well, what would you pick as your uh, all-time favourite Thai destination? It's really, really hard. And I've mentioned quite a few. I've managed to squeeze quite a few in, I think, the last few minutes. There is one place, and it's in the northeast of Thailand, which is a region called Isan. And it doesn't get that many tourists, really. It gets people who know it's there, know it's there. It's it's what I call the, the Emerald Triangle. There's rice and agriculture and some of my favorite spicy food. But there's also an incredible 
historical park called Phnom Rung in a place called Buri Ram. And it's probably one of the great Khmer style temples in the world. And a lot of people don't know about it. It was built between the 10th and 13th century. And you walk onto the site and there's usually not that many people there. And it's absolutely magical, especially at sunset and sunrise. So I'd say that's a, a place where you go and, and you'll never forget having, having made your trip there for sure. Mm, how wonderful. How easy is it to reach? Not difficult at all. You can get train to a nearby town or you could fly up from Bangkok. Or you could drive. I mean, we love driving here. The roads are pretty good. How about a favourite hotel? Is there one that you would always recommend to a person visiting Thailand? I think I mentioned Van Bayan and Hua Hin, which is sort of one of my special places. There are so many. And Villa Chakrapong in Bangkok, which is just absolutely magical. And you have a view of the Temple of the Dawn across the river. And of course, Puchai Sai, up, up where the cookery school is, up in the mountains. And each of those are so very different. You have a different flavour. They're different price brackets. Um, and they they got different atmospheres. And I also highly recommend looking on Airbnb. Mm-hmm. You can find places that are on the old canals in Thailand, old early 20th century houses, which are tucked away and you can only get to by boat, which I think is a quite a magical thing for a couple of days. Or some of the old shop houses, as I said, converted in the back streets of Chinatown, where I sat in the last week sitting at 4, 4 a.m. on my little terrace and the world was going on around me, but it wasn't the craziness of perhaps Silom Sukhumvit Saturn Bangkok, which is a more high-rise Bangkok. This was bustle of people talking, some old ladies next door chin-wagging about something in Chinese, uh, a, 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 a truck unloading some ice, people getting ready for the breakfast service. And it was just incredibly lovely. It, it took me back to maybe the Bangkok of my childhood. And I think those sort of little secret places that are tucked away are, are very special. Have those contrasting experiences. A hundred percent. Don't don't I I I got also what John said about if you're if you're new to traveling, it's really nice to have something super comfy to go back to at the end of the day. But if you can if you can pick a few different if you have the time to pick a two different a few different places, I think it just gives you a flavor of the different parts of the country and different parts of the city because Bangkok has so many little parts to it, so many hidden quarters. You've got little India, you've got little Arabia, you've got Chinatown, you've got you know crazy Sukhumvit with its bright lights, you've got the river, you've got Tonbury where you have the old Portuguese quarter, which is on the other side of the river. So there's there's so much to explore. Even if you just did the one city for a few days, you would get so many different aspects of it. So much to cover. It sounds like I could spend my whole two weeks in Bangkok, really. But you could. If you if you wanted to, you could. And you could still you could still do day trips. You could take the old train out of the beautiful old station Hua Lampong, just a few hours down to the coast. Uh, you could just take a, a ride out to some of the outskirts outlying areas further down the river towards the sea so there's lots of things you can do so it's not I mean the whole country I think takes an awfully long time to explore and I've been doing it for my whole life and I still haven't been everywhere I haven't explored the south as much as I should for sure and I think John's idea of taking the train down and just just going is a wonderful idea too because again your diversity of food and culture and ethnicity down there is incredible too all over the country it is it's a fascinating fascinating place yeah I never, never get tired. There's never a day where I don't think, oh, I, I, I tried a vegetable last week. And I'm like, what is that? And apparently it's called a Laos monkey tail. So a monkey tail from Laos. And it's this purple flower that you steam and dip 
into what we call numprik, which is like a, a spicy relish. Mm. And it had this tannic, bitter, sweet flavor. So again, you know, every day I'm discovering whether it's a new food or a, a new culture. It's, 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 it's magic. Thailand's magical. Amazing. Wow. Thank you so much for bringing Thailand to life in such an evocative way. I am sure that my listeners are as inspired as I am to, uh, to get out there as soon as we can. Well, I hope so. Tell them I'm here. Tell them to get in touch. I, I, I'm, I'm waiting to show them around. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Kay. Those were your Thai travel diaries. I really appreciate your, your expertise. Thank you so much, Holly. Oh, what an incredible flavour of an incredible country. Thank you so much to both John and Kay for sharing their knowledge and passion for amazing Thailand. Kay, I'm going to get out there as soon as I can. I am dying for some of that gorgeous winter sun that you're enjoying out there. If you're inspired to find out more about Thailand, visit fanclubthailand.co.uk. And as always, support your favorite travel magazines and newspapers who will no doubt offer some comprehensive destination guides. Thanks so much for listening today. If you are enjoying the podcast, then don't forget to hit subscribe or if you use Apple Podcasts to hit follow so that a new episode lands in your podcast app each week. And if you really enjoyed it, then if you fancy leaving a rating or a review, that would be extra special. Come and follow me on Instagram. I'm at Holly Rubenstein. Would love to hear from you as always. And don't forget that all the destinations mentioned by my guests, I always include in the episode show notes. And they're also always on my website, thetraveldiariespodcast.com. Have a very happy new year, everyone. And I'll speak to you soon. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 